Good morning, everybody. Well, it is just good to be here. Last week we talked a little bit about living life. And, but before we get to that, man, I was looking the right way, too. That worked out great. Middle school and high school, get out of here. We love you guys. That was subtle, real good. I told him earlier, I said I wrote a note down there, but if I forget, make sure you let me know. Youth ministry, go figure. Awesome. Well, last week, as I was saying, we talked a little about living life, and we talked about five specific points that the Apostle Paul gave us through the book of Galatians, practical steps of living out our life with Jesus Christ. And uh, let's just do a a real quick review of those before we get into what we're going to talk about today. And the first one was that we uh, do life with other believers. We're important to each other, guys. We're a family. We need one another in our lives, just like Pastor Tom brought the fellas up today. We need each other in our lives, guys. We need each other in our lives. Ladies, we need each other in your lives. And we need all of ourselves, this family of God, for restoration for conflict, resolution, and love. We need to do what we personally need to do to grow, examining prayerfully and regularly where are we with the Lord and where do we need to move from here. The third one is we we need to be excellent to each other, right? We need to love one another, care for one another, and it says, especially those who belong to the kingdom of God. We're to do good to everyone, but especially our family. Our family, the kingdom of God here. Fourth was to avoid empty religion. You know, let's not go back to that stuff. There was some value in it for a time, and we don't want to create any empty religion. We just want to love Jesus. And we talked about being a new creation. You are a new... How many people walked that out last week? I am a new creation. Anybody? I guess I'm the only one. That's all right. I'll walk it out. I'll do it. I got enough for all y'all right now. Man, you're a new creation, people. Get it. Grab it. Own it. You are a new creation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, five, we we learn to speak grace to one another. The blessing of grace and peace that we give to one another in our comings and our going that changes how we speak to one another, whether verbally or not. That blessing of peace and grace that we give to one another changes our attitude as we speak to one another, whether inside the church or out. If you want to know more about that and you weren't here last week, you can check out gcvineyard.org and you can listen to those sermons online if you like. But this week we're going to take a look at five more practical things that we can do as believers. Alrighty, and, and, and I talked about this last week, but I'm going to say it again, I need those things. I need someone to spell it out for me, right? I need someone to say, hey, Here's some tools, and here's how to use them. And so we're going to talk a little bit about five more things. And today, we're going to uh, go from the book of James. Great book. It's toward the back of your Bible, if you want to flip there. Uh, Usually, at this time, we have you stand, and we'll read the Scripture. But we're going to walk our way through all five chapters, kind of hitting points along the way, and uh, throughout the whole teaching today. So I'm going to ask you to remain seated. We, we remain in uh, reverence for the word of the Lord, but we can do that in a seated posture today. Otherwise, we're going to be up and down so much, we'll be here until 3.30 doing aerobics. 
be like the game tonight. Yay, back down. Yay, back down. Book of James, great book. Toward the, toward the back right after Hebrews, it was written around 60 A.D., somewhere around that area by a guy named James, go figure, who was the brother of Jesus Christ, the biological, well, technically half-brother of Jesus Christ. Now, there's some name dropping there. Hey, who do you think you are? Well, I'm the brother of Jesus Christ. Ever mention that? Or, or worse, growing up, why can't you be more like your brother? <laughs> it's Jesus Poor James, God bless him. But, but he was not only the brother, but he was a disciple and an apostle of the Lord. And uh, this is a general letter. It was sent out, basically, it was sent out not to be specific to one church or one people group, but it was sent out to anybody and everybody who would listen. It's not a typical letter of greeting, uh, but it is almost written like an essay, which was very common back then, especially in the Greek and Roman cultures, to send out these essays of admonishment and encouragement to build up people uh, in secular society and in faith. And so uh, we look at this, and the, the audience here were believers, Christians, just like us, but these believers were specifically ones who had grown up in the Jewish tradition, the, the Jewish faith, and we're now following Jesus. He, he says that in verse 1 of chapter 1. His greeting is, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. It's a direct reference, reference to the 12 tribes of Israel that had been scattered through religious persecution, through political persecution, and a little bit of everything else throughout that whole Mediterranean region of Asia Minor and what we now call Eastern Europe and, and Italy and, and down below in Northern Africa. And they had been, they had been sent out. They, had been, they were on the run. They were on the run. The context here, like in Galatians that we spoke of last week, this book, James, is a wake-up call to believers. It's an admonition to the early church to get back to their first love, Jesus Christ. To put ungodly behavior and empty religious practices behind them. It is a call to action. It's a call to get up, off your butt, out of the pews, and go take the gospel out to the streets. To walk out their faith in genuine humility and love for one another. So today we're going to learn five things from the book of James as we walk through this. And the first thing that we learn from James is that we persevere through the trials. There's no warm greeting here. There's no, hey, I hope you guys are doing okay. How's life? What'd you have for dinner? It's not Facebook. There's no pictures of everybody's dinner. But he starts out with the greeting of who he is, and then he says, hey, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. He's addressing the issue of the day from the very beginning of his letter. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Consider it joy. Are you kidding me? People are hunting us down. We are scattered through the nations because we proclaim the name of Jesus and they want to throw us in jail or kill us because of it. And he's saying consider it joy. And the reason we consider it joy is because Jesus said, if you love me, they're going to hate you. 
We consider it joy because I don't know if you've noticed, but as you grow deeper in your faith, it seems like that target on your back for the enemy gets a little bigger and bigger. And if you're not experiencing trials, we need to think, wow, how am I experiencing my faith? How am I walking this out? And uh, guys, this was a life or death thing for these folks. But he emphasizes, James is emphasizing the perseverance merits reward from the Father in this. Because he continues in chapter 1 with verse 4. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, he's not talking about material stuff. He's talking about in here. He's talking about that fulfillment of the promise of an abundant life in here. He's saying, when you get mature, you get the tools you need to live life for God and to live it in its fullness. It is a promise. And he goes on to say in verse 12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Years ago, when Queen Elizabeth II had been uh, brought forth as the new queen of the United Kingdom, she was not queen until her coronation service. The archbishop came and took the crown and put it on her head, and that became her identity. And he's saying here, you have a new identity, and that identity is the crown of life. We have eternal life in Christ Jesus. Put on your crown. So back in the 70s, there was a famous poster, and I think it's relevant to this. Hang in there, baby. Life's going to be hard. There are hardships of many kind, but you can do it. You're not alone. You got us. And above else, you got Jesus. So hang in there, because the rewards in the end are amazing. The second thing he's talking about is listen and act. Listen and act. This is actually one thing. Looks like two, but is one. First part of that is to listen. Verse uh, 1, chapter 1, verse 19 through 20. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. It's the old, the old adage, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. Just think if, while having conversations with people in our life, like we talked about last week, speaking grace and peace and blessing to them, if we were quick to listen to them, to value them, to hear them, and a little bit slower to formulate what our comeback is going to be. How valued do you feel when someone stops and looks at you in the eye and listens? I don't know about you, but I feel valued when someone not only listens, but they hear me. And we are called to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And there are some rules for that speaking that we'll get to in just a little bit. But we're to listen and act. And I love this part of James because he's talking about treating everyone equal. 
not just loving each other, but to treat them equal. And you need to understand the culture here, the culture in which he's talking about, the context that, and he's, he's speaking specifically uh, to rich versus poor. And please understand, in this culture, there was a little bit difference than a monetary rich poor. This was a class thing. It wasn't just about I have, you don't have. It was I am here and you are here. I have been blessed and you have been cursed. And I will continue to be blessed and you will continue to live this life as cursed until the day you die. And there was very little in between. But he's saying we don't discriminate. We treat each other as equals. We love each other the same amount and serve each other in the same way. Chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, he says, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Not a lot of gray area here, folks. Right? We are to treat each other as equals. There's an equation that he goes on to talk about. uh, Faith plus works equals life. Faith plus works equals life. Now, now it is not by works of righteousness that we are saved, but only according to his mercy. But that's only part of the equation, is our faith. We then need to move on to works. And Pastor Tom brought an amazing series about following Jesus, about taking up our cross and denying ourselves and following him. It required actions, and that's what we're talking about here. He continues in chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and one of them says, and one of you says to them, Go in peace. Stay warm. Be well. What good is it if we don't take care of their physical needs? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Let me repeat that. Faith by itself, without, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say to you, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Are you showing your faith by your deeds? Are you preaching the gospel, and every once in a while you might say something? Right? Our actions speak a whole lot louder than words, don't they, in this? Someone will say to you, I have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. I'll show you my faith without deeds. Goes on to say, you believe there's one God? Well, good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. You believe there's one God? Good for you. Great. Get saved. It's wonderful. But you gotta take some action. Even the demons believe. And they shudder. Do we shudder at the name of Jesus? Are we in awe of the presence of the ever-living God? And does that drive us to be obedient to him, to action? He goes on later in the chapter, and he talks about two specific people, someone named Abraham and someone named Rahab. Two names 
that are pillars in, in the Jewish faith that these Jewish believers would know about. They would know the name and they would know their deeds. And he talks about how even before Jesus was born to bring righteousness to us, to bring redemption to us, hundreds of years before then, they were saved because they obeyed God and they were found righteous by serving him. And he finishes the chapter by driving this home in verse 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. It's not enough to just believe, folks. It's not enough to just believe. We, we've got to act on it. Right? It, it wouldn't have been enough for Peter and Andrew who were mending their nets when Jesus said, come, follow me to go. Okay, cool. And then just sit there. That's not following Jesus. we got to follow him. We can't just say the prayer. We have to do the work of the kingdom, people. That's what we're called to. Again, this is not about earning our salvation. That's already been taken care of. This is about loving Jesus so much that we want to work with him. They want to do what he wants us to do. They want to have the life he's called us to. Not just invite him to be a part of our life that we've called ourselves to. Following Jesus. Number three, tame your tongue. Taming your tongue. That little thing in there. Hey, you got so much power. There's so much power in that little muscle inside your face. And he knows that, and you know that, don't we? We know that. For good or for bad, and what we say, there's that old saying, right, of, of uh, sticks and stones. will break my bones, but words will never harm me. <coughs> good saying. Good saying. It was meant with great intentions. You know what? We should live a life in Jesus that's great enough that it doesn't matter what people say. But if we really look at this and understand the power of words, it might read something like this. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words can crush my spirit. Words can crush our spirit. We need to test what we say, folks. We need to test what we stay, say by the standard of Jesus Christ. He is our standard. We don't go, well, I'm not saying stuff as bad as him. Oh, you should have heard what he said the other day. At least I'm not that bad. But we test it by Jesus. What would Jesus have me say? Our words have a lot of power. goes on to talk about swearing oaths. Five, chapter 5, verse 12. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. And it has become part of our culture and our language and our vernacular to say, I'll swear to God. Mm. I, hate, I hate even saying it as part of the teaching. But there's a point here. Oh, Lord knows how I am. These are making oaths in the Lord's name. And there's power in that. It's a huge commitment. God sticks to his commitments. It's a huge commitment 
swearing an oath or a promise before the Lord, and it's not to be entered into lightly or frivolously. You might have heard something like that at your wedding if, if you're married, right? That's a powerful vow, uh, vow that you make to your spouse and to God in front of witnesses. This is what he's talking about, swearing. And James is driving home to these Jewish believers the third commandment. Shall not take the Lord's name in vain. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of God Almighty. And we don't need to use it just to get our point across. But he goes on to say, let your yes be yes, your no be yes. No. Because if we are living in integrity, our yes should be enough. Our no should be enough. And you know people in your life, when they tell you, yes, I will come help you do that, or no, I can't do it, but I'll be here for this, that that's all they have to say, and you know they'll be there, don't you? We have people in our lives that when they say yes, they mean it, and they're on it, and you don't have to question it. You don't have to ask them to swear to anything. Their word is good enough. I used to, I love Andy Griffith, and there's always, there's times, well, his word's good enough. That man gave his word, that's good enough for me. Our yes needs to be yes. And it has the power behind it if we're living out our faith in integrity. Fourth thing is to submit to God in everything. Submit to God in everything. We don't like that word submit too much in our culture. It's almost kind of a dirty word. Submit? I'm my own man. I don't want to submit to nobody. Right? I mean, we don't like to submit to anything, but we need to submit to God in everything we do. He talks about asking with the right motives, and if we know God, we know that God looks at our hearts, don't we? He doesn't always need to hear what's coming out of our mouths because He knows what's in our heart. And He knows which is which. He says this in, in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And a lot of people will stop at the end of that sentence and go, see, you don't have that stuff because you're not asking God for it. It means if you ask God, you'll get everything you want. See, you know, it says right there, you do not have because you don't. Have you asked for that new car? Have you asked for that bigger house? You do not have because, but then he goes on to say, let's finish this thought. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasure. I'm not going to ask for hands, but I'm going to put my hand up on this one. How many people here, just saying to yourself, have asked probably with some wrong motives before? And go, oh, and then you rationalize it with, this is me, sorry. I'm going to bring you into my, my dirty laundry. I've done those things where, Lord, if you just give me this, I promise I will use it for you. Right? And I don't get it. Or worse, I do get it. And he holds me to it. But we can probably all look back at some time in our life where we have prayed and prayed. We've asked people to pray for us. We need this so bad. 
and we don't get it. We don't receive it because our motives are poor. It's like God knows better. It's like God knows what we need more than we do. Wow. So true. So true. Well, we all suffer from that. goes on to say here in uh, chapter 4, verse 6 through 8, to humble ourselves. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Do you get tired of the devil whispering in your ear? Do you get tired of the devil tempting you with old and past sins? Do you get tired of the devil coming against people in your family? Well, if we submit to God, we can resist the devil, and he will flee. And there's power in that, people. There is power in that. The devil is not God. The devil is not even close to God. We can resist the devil and he will flee in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Second thing you ask here, do you want to be nearer to God? It's so funny. Well, man, I just want God to be near to me. Then get nearer to him. I mean... That's almost too much common sense for me to handle. Right? Are you getting near to God? Are you drawing near to Him? Are you doing what you need to do to draw near to Him? Are you picking up that Bible thing, dusting it off and opening it up every once in a while and reading what the Word says to you? I encourage you, go home today, read the book of James. We're just hitting the tip of the iceberg with this book. It is full of good stuff. But go home and read it for yourself. See what the Lord might bring up new stuff. You go, wow, Pastor Tony, even talk about that. Wow. Are you reading the Bible? Are you getting together? Are you praying? Are you spending time with the Lord? Because if you want God to be nearer to you, then you need to get nearer to him. It's pretty simple math there. And the third thing on this is the, the eternal perspective. This is what I mean. On that. We talked about this a couple months ago, but it's the perspective of who we are versus who God is in eternity. So you've got God in eternity, and you've got us, this little tiny blip on the line. Our 60, 70, 80, 90, 102 years on earth, whatever you have, whatever God has you, is still, even if you live to be 118, you're still a tiny blip in the line. God is the ocean. And we're barely a drop. That's an eternal perspective. And it really puts things in perspective for us when we think like that. Because when trouble comes our way, when life comes our way, we go, you know what? I'm just a blip. And if God wants to glorify himself in this, cool. What's the worst thing someone can do to me? They kill me, they send me home. You know? Or God forbid, someone may call you a name. Because you said you're Christian. But when we have that eternal perspective, those sticks and stones that break our bones don't mean as much anymore. And the words that people try to brutalize our life with don't mean as much anymore because the word from the Lord is that you are loved by God Almighty. That you were worth the sacrifice of His only Son so that you could have eternal life with God forever and ever.
should be like an amen after that. It just seems like forever and ever amen. I don't know. James calls us a mist. You are a mist that appears for a little while and vanishes. You ever notice, if you're, there, if you're here on your journey with Jesus to that point where you're starting to gain some eternal perspective, have you noticed just the way you walk out life changes? Have you noticed how things that used to really bug you just don't bug you quite as much anymore? There's a certain peace in your heart. And the things that arise that used to steal your joy just don't steal your joy anymore. That joy that comes from inside still keeps welling up and it really ticks off the devil, and I love that. Mm. Number five, let's walk it out. All this stuff, the five things we talked about last week, the four things we just talked about, all culminate in this number five here that we learned from James, which is walking out our faith. And he gives us a couple ideas of how to do this. This is not exhaustive, because there are all sorts of ways that we walk out our faith in real life. But the first thing he talks about is being generous. And we talked about how he uh, talked about the disparity in, in the rich and the poor, the classes, and how we're supposed to treat those as equal. He was also, this James is known as James as the just. So if you're reading about James, sometimes they'll call him James of the just because he had such a heart for the poor and the marginalized. And he was very condemning in chapter 5 at the beginning about rich people, not for being rich, but for treating others like garbage. He condemned rich landowners and business owners for treating their people like trash and not being generous and for turning their wealth into an idol instead of realizing that their wealth was given to them by God as a resource to bless others and themselves. It's not evil to be rich. He's not saying that. He's saying we're called to be generous with whatever we have. And you know what? You may not be rich. I know I'm not. But we can be generous with what we have where we are. And you may just barely have a couple dollars to rub together that's going to buy your lunch today. But you can still be generous with what God has given you. And I'm going to give you an example of that. Uh, I've spoken of her many times. My mom, little Thelma Buxel, five foot two. She is a pistol. Don't mess with her. She's an amazing lady. She's my hero. More like that. She's got tall hair. Um, growing up, I was the youngest of five children. My mom, single mom. My dad kind of came around, but it's a long story. We'll get to that another day. My mom busted her behind. Six days a week, easy, working anywhere between 12 to 16 hours so that we had enough food to eat, so we had clean clothes on our backs, so we had a place to stay. And on top of that, not only did she take care of us kids, she took care of my grandma and grandpa who lived with us. Little tiny house. My mom would do that five days a week, and there were two days she didn't work 16 hours. One was on Sunday, because that's the day you go to church. And we would walk to church. Yes, back then you walked to church. We would walk to church together as a family. We'd walk into church. Mom would go one way, because she taught Sunday school. She still gave what she could. And we'd go to Sunday school, and we'd meet together and do church afterward. That's how they did it back then. And, and then uh, we'd go home, have a big family dinner, and kids would go outside to play, and Mom would go get sewing. 
and she'd do some more sewing. That's what my mom does for a living. Still, 86 years old, still sews. She would go down in the basement where her shop was, and she would sew. Until it was evening time, we'd come in, and she'd bring up some hand sewing. And we'd watch Wonderful World of Disney and the Lawrence Welk Show. We were living big on our four channels. And we would sit and watch, and Mom would sit there and sew. She'd bring up her hand sewing. The other day, she didn't work ridiculous hours, was on Monday. And Monday was the day that as soon as noon hit, she took off because she worked with children with disabilities. And my little tiny mom would work on these kids who were way taller than her and stronger than her, and she would exercise their legs and their arms and help them stand and walk and go to the bathroom. She loved those kids, and she'd be there all afternoon. And, and finally, I got to the point where I was a kid, you know, a teenager, and I knew everything. <laughs> Parents of teenagers were like, come on. Um, where I finally went to my mom, I went, Mom, so you work all this time. We, we have Sunday dinner and stuff. You still work, and then you go and you, you spend the whole afternoon. Why don't you take some time for yourself? And she says, you know what? We don't have a lot of money but we can always give. We can always be generous. We can always find something to be generous, whatever we have. Maybe it's just giving someone a ride. Maybe it's spending time with someone. Maybe it's just sitting with someone. We have an amazing uh, ministry here of hospital care where we go and make visitations in hospitals and nursing homes. We'd love to have you be a part of that. We'll even train you to do it. But that's important to give. To generosity takes a lot of a lot of forms. Let's be creative with it. Have some fun with it. He goes on to talk about being patient and suffering. We talked about suffering earlier, but he says this: as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. It says this in five eleven. You've heard of Job's perseverance and has seen the way the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. He's saying persevere you will be blessed and then i love the way he closes his letter because he closes it with instruction for prayer and folks if you're going to develop a fallback position for your faith it should be prayer it should be prayer and tom spoke about that up here with the iron man conference that we need to gather around in fact he even quoted he stole one of my verses from today 5.16, therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Hear that. The prayer of a righteous per- person is powerful and effective. He is not saying a priest. He's not saying a pastor. He's saying we need to pray for each other because we're all in this together, guys. And you can pray, and you can pray just effectively as I can. We're in this together, and we need to be praying for one another. The common sense approach that he takes in chapter 5, verse 13, I love this. Listen to this. If anyone among you is in trouble, let them pray. Whoa. Who thought of that one? Anybody here been in trouble and prayed? Come on. And then it says, is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. 
These are some common sense things, folks, but they're things that we need a nudge. We need the booster shot. We need to be reminded. Tuesday nights here at the church, 7 o'clock, back in the back hallway here. We have some rooms back here. And we do a free-flowing prayer and worship time. We have a guitar sing some songs, we pray some prayers. The prayer requests that you guys put in on Sunday mornings, we type those out, we bring them, and we pray over them. And the people who come, we pray together. And sometimes we pray for people, other times we just praise the Lord, and it's an amazing time. And if you've never been invited to come, this is your official invitation. You're always welcome to be a part of that. It starts at 7 o'clock, it ends around 8-ish-ish-ish. Finally, there's the prayer of the elders. talks about in 514. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. We've got some amazing elders in our church. We've got some amazing people in our church. We've got some great prayers in our church, folks. And sometimes we go through life and we drag through it in our own sin, and our own dysfunction, and we're afraid to ask. Guys, we're your family. Who else are you going to ask? Man, I need some prayer. Let's get someone and pray with you. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to have the band come up. While they're coming out, uh, uh, I'm going to ask uh, one of our elders, uh, Don Ivers and his wife Kathy, if you guys will come up over here. We have some anointing oil over here. And, and if that verse rang something in you there, is anyone among you sick? Let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. If you need some healing today, Don and Kathy are going to be right over here. They are good prayers. And they want to pray for you, and they will pray for you, and they will anoint you with oil. They'll put a little oil on your head, so don't freak out if you go over here. That's what they're doing. It's all biblical. It's all cool. Love to have you do that. And I'm going to ask any of our other prayer team, People have gone through that prayer ministry training like we just had. If you'll come over to this side. So if you want healing, come see an elder. Come be anointed. If you need that anointing, come over here. If you need some prayer, if you came today and said, man, I just need, I'm going through some stuff. I want someone to join with me in prayer. Man, my heart has been broken. I just need someone to help me. Come on up, guys. They are here for you. And you're more than welcome to come at any time. And uh, I know there's only two of them over there, so if it gets backed up a little bit, just wait in line, please. We're going to have some great worship, they'll play time, and they will wait, and they will stay until everyone who wants to get prayed for gets prayed for. And again, if you have any other prayer request, please come. These people would love to pray with you and love you. And uh, so, five things we learned today, guys. Persevere through the trials. Hang in there because it's worth it. Listen and act. Don't just hear the word, but we got to do what it says. Tame our tongues, that little muscle. we got to use it to do some good. Submit to God in everything we do. Give it all to him. It's his anyway. And then walk it out. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, thank you. Thank you for another day where we can come and worship you. A day where we woke up and we opened our mouth and we could breathe because you've given us life. And we know that tomorrow's not promised to us, but you gave us today. And our lungs are moving and our heart is beating, and we thank you for this day.
Lord God, I pray that the words that you have spoken us today, through the worship, through communion, through the challenge that Pastor Tom gave, through the word, I pray that you would hide those in our heart to create a foundation on which to build in our journey with you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you. We love you, and I thank you for this family. Bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.